0: Glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to time out for just a second. We've started something new. Would you stand with me, please? In honor of the reading of God's word, we've just started this, so I'm still getting in the habit. All right, let's go ahead and read again verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger hunger. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward. I've circled my Bible in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, As noted, I I got a lot of help reading uh, some comments made by a couple of men I like to read after, John Phillips and John Butler. I'll just mention that so you don't think their original thoughts with me. It was very helpful to me. Mr. Phillips said that when we look at the fact that we're called salt and light, uh, there's a couple of things that are dealt with there. Salt really deals with our character, what we are, and light with our conduct, what we do. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. After the Lord Jesus has given the Beatitudes, he is laying out his principles. He is saying, this is what I thought yesterday. I mean, just If you bear with me, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. If you connect that blessed is the man in Psalm 1 to what Jesus says here, he is painting you a picture of the blessed individual. Blessed is the man, if you would. Blessed is. are they. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, The Lord Jesus thinks entirely differently than natural man does. And he's going to lay out what the blessed person looks like. The person that's poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. I believe those first three deal with our attitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's our attitude with ourselves and toward ourselves. We do not see ourselves as I'm fine. I'm good. I have everything I need. That was the Laodiceans. Blessed are they that do mourn. That has to do with our attitude toward God. We are, we are distressed and mourning because we have offended a good and a holy God. Blessed are, are the meek. That has to do with our attitude toward others. Amen? And so blessed are the poor in spirit, our attitude toward our sin and ourselves. Blessed are they that mourn, our attitude toward our sin and our God. Blessed are the meek. That's our attitude toward other people. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now he begins to deal with appetite. What do you have an appetite for today? What do you long for? What are you hungry for? He says, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Then he begins to deal with our actions. Blessed are the merciful. By the way, until you've been reconciled to God, received righteousness as a gift from him, you can't be merciful to anybody. You can't minister outward until you've gotten your relationship corrected with God and reconciled to him. But blessed are the merciful. That has to do with how we treat other people. We looked at um, uh, the Apostle Paul and Silas in jail, how they were merciful to the jailer and gave him the gospel and did what was right in spite of being treated wrong. Blessed are the pure in heart. We're back again to the inner disposition of the heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. How many of you, if you're going to write on The Blessed Life, this is the list you would create? Blessed are they that are poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. I got news for you. This nation is seeking a life that can be free from any grief, sorrow, or mourning. And we've utterly failed at getting it. The pursuit of happiness is a right term because that's all it is, is a pursuit. And more of a pursuit, and a pursuit, and a pursuit. The pursuit of Jesus Christ will end in happiness but it's not a pursuit of happiness, it's a pursuit of him. Anyway, having said all that, we look at these blesseds here, and what the Lord Jesus is doing, as I said before, he's laying forth his principles, his ideals. This is what I'm looking for, and if you're going to be my disciple, this is where I'm leading you, to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. All of that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The hunger and thirst for righteousness is satisfied in Him. Our needy soul is satisfied in Him. Our mourning is turned into joy through the Lord Jesus Christ. We go on and on. But the fact of the matter is, all of that is found in Him. We are merciful and can be merciful because we've received mercy through Jesus Christ. Purity of heart requires the presence of Jesus Christ. He has to cleanse our hearts by faith. In him, we cannot be a true peacemaker, one who does not compromise but stands on conviction, yet coupled with compassion. You cannot be a peacemaker outside of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing the bridge verse between verses 12 and 13 and the rest of the verses, our verses, bridge verses 10 and 11. He says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What he's just laid out for us, this is righteousness. This is right. It is right to be poor in spirit, it is right to, be, to mourn, it is right to be meek, it is right to have a right hunger for righteousness, it's right to be a merciful, it is right to be a peacemaker, it's right to be pure in heart. And how is the world going to respond and react to that? So the Lord Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, you're blessed if you're poor in spirit. The attitude of the world is you're blessed if you know you got it all together. You are the blessed person when you don't have to look to anyone else for anything. You have obtained the American dream when you own your own home, own whatever car you want, don't have to ask anybody for anything, you don't need anything, that's blessed. You and I come along saying, no, you're cursed. Because you trust in what you have instead of the one who made you and you're on your way to help. Well, that goes over well, doesn't it? What the Lord Jesus says is exactly opposite of what this world thinks because it's what Satan's told them. He said, blessed are they that mourn. No, they say, blessed are they that are partying and happy and excited and, 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 and rejoicing all the time. Blessed are they that laugh, not blessed are they that mourn. So we come along and say, you know what, we ought to be mourning today because we've offended a holy God. They said, don't mess my day up. I was happy till you showed up. Blessed are the meek. No, blessed are... Look, the meek are those who are willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. I am willing to be treated wrongly to do someone else right. We saw David save Saul's life. Saul didn't deserve that. The world says, no, no, no. It's, no, we're not, we're not about being meek. You're not about esteeming other better than yourself. You've got to watch out for good old number one. Am I telling the truth this morning? Is that the attitude of the world we live in? Of course it is. And the Lord says, and you're going to come around and live exactly opposite of the way they think. And what they're going to do is they're going to persecute you. They are going to try to steal the savor out of your salt. They're going to try to get you to stop mourning. And we, Jesus is hunger and thirst after Righteousness. The world says hunger and thirst after a good time, hunger and thirst after more things, hunger and thirst after the fulfilled life, the secure life, the safe life, the successful life. That's what you should be pursuing. Amen? Isn't that what the world says? God says, I just want you to do what's right. Be just and true in your dealings. And so, again, I don't think it's... I know it's not. It's not an accident that if we listen to, accept and obey His precepts in our life, we are going to be in abrasiveness in this world. And therefore, persecution comes. The world doesn't say, oh, we didn't know we were supposed to mourn. Teach us how. They're going to say, you're wrong. We didn't know we were supposed to be meek, but you came along and we showed. How about that? Thank you. You showed me the right way. I had no idea. I didn't know God made me and I was supposed to humble myself. I had no idea. Thank you. So... No, no, no. They're going to revile you because your values are going to reveal their need. You with me? So then he says, when they respond to you with persecution, because you're hungry and thirsting after righteousness, and you're being merciful, and you're being a peacemaker, and you're doing what I've told you to do, and they respond, you rejoice and be exceeding glad, because there's a reward, where? In heaven. Don't expect it on earth, but there will be one in heaven. It takes faith to accept this, doesn't it? Amen. And so then we come to today. So I believe he's just said, verses 11 and 12, you're going to be persecuted, for listening and believing me and receiving me and obeying me. But he said, but when they revile you and they're going to say, all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, meaning because you have accepted what I've told you is true and you're following my commands, they're going to treat you like dirt. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is something every professed believer in Christ, you cannot avoid having to grapple with how the world will treat you if you are a true disciple. There's no way around the world despising you because of your trust and love for Jesus Christ. And what happens, every believer comes to a point in the road where they have to decide, am I going to let their treatment of me turn me from the Lord Jesus Christ and cause me to be disloyal to him because of pressure from them? Or am I going to respond correctly to a world that hates Jesus Christ and therefore they hate me? And so he says, let me explain what you are. They're going to persecute you. Let me explain your role in this life. May I say this? We are ambassadors for Christ, but we might get this wrong. We might think sometimes we have in the mainstream Christian media communicated there are people out there that are just, they so long to be right with God, they're just waiting for you to come along and show them how. Now, there may be a few people like that, but most are not. The world is at enmity with God, meaning they love what he hates and they hate what he loves. That's Bible, friend. You read your Bible, read Luke chapter 16. The world loves what he hates and hates what he loves. And we come along and say you're at odds with God. It would kind of like, how many of you would like to be an ambassador for the United States in Kabul, Afghanistan this morning? I mean, anybody paying attention to the news this week? They're getting our people out of there. How many of you like to be in Kabul this morning as an ambassador trying to make conditions of peace with the Taliban? No, thanks. But if you're a Christian this morning, friend, that's where you are. God saved you right in the middle of enemy territory. I said, Boy, you're encouraging us today, pastor. It would be ex- extremely depressing if it weren't for this one thing. I serve a risen Savior. And he is alive and well today and has all the grace I need to be faithful to him until he calls me home. And so do you if you're saved. He said, I want you to understand your role. We talked about in Sunday school this morning, roles and responsibilities. He says, your role in the earth is your salt. Your salt in the earth. If you're gonna, you and I are going to be what disciples are supposed to be, then we need to understand what we're here to do. We are not here to embrace a world that's just waiting to be embraced by God. We are here in a corrupt environment to be an offsetting of the corruption. If we think about salt this morning. If I say salt, what's the first thing you think of? Breakfast. Uh, I mean, honestly, what do we use salt for? Yeah, you know, I used to never put salt on anything. And now I salt a little bit more. But I want Dawson over here. He doesn't even eat salt on his eggs. Now, that's, there's insanity. Amen. Job talks about it. I try to help him. Job says an egg needs salt. Amen. But here's what I believe salt, when we you and I think of it, we primarily think of it as adding flavor to our food, which is true. But you remove your refrigerator this morning and your freezer and all of a sudden salt is way more important than it was before. Before refrigeration, salt was the number one preserving agent, period. You want to preserve your meat, you salt it. You hang it in the, in the meat cellar uh, because salt is a preserving agent. No doubt, the reference to us being the salt of the earth, no doubt refers to the flavor, because the Bible mentions that. But primarily, especially in the context of Matthew chapter 5, salt is seen as a preserving agent, as an offsetting of corruption. And we have to look at it this way this morning. I'll give you three simple, simple things this morning that are stated in verse 13 that I believe will help us this morning. We've given the introduction about the Beatitudes and how you can see we we are not here to blend... That's not why we were put here. We are here to influence. As we go through these three points this morning, I want you with a good conscience toward God to ask this question in the sight of the Lord. Am I more influenced by the world I live in or am I more of an influence on it? That's what I want you to think. Are you more influenced by the lost world that you live in? Meaning, does the corruption around you have more of an influence on you Or do you have more of an influence on it? I believe this. When a true disciple of Jesus Christ walks into a room of lost men, they ought to behave differently simply because they know a Christian is in their midst. You don't have to walk in and blow a trumpet and say, I am a Christian. If they know you, they'll change their conduct for one reason. You walked in the room. That's what he's talking about. You live by different principles. They live by lust. We live by faith and love. We trust our Savior, love Him because He first loved us, therefore we obey Him, and we value what He values, and therefore we are to be the influence. Salt is an influence. Light is an influence. Amen? This is what I love about light. Jesus repeatedly refers to Himself as the light of the world, and we'll get into that next Sunday morning, God willing. He's the light of the world. We're the light of the world. You know what darkness represents? I thought last night, here's what darkness does. Darkness does not change reality. It just conceals it. Darkness does not change reality. It contorts it. It may make you see shadows and think things. You know why darkness is present? You know what darkness is? It's the absence of light. How many of us agree our nation is getting darker? Now, my mind goes, well, if it's getting darker, then why? Because so many lights are under bushels, in beds, and in secret places. The world wants us to withdraw from our role as salt and light, salt is an influence, light is an influence. Salt, we know what salt is. It is a, it is a molecular composition. I think it's very interesting, uh, Mr. Phillips. Again, I'm just going to read verbatim what he says because he says it so well. He says, "Salt." And we begin here, if, you want, if you're taking notes, you want outline, we begin with the master, the Lord Jesus Christ, the master's comparison. He says to his disciples, so those who trusted that he was the Christ, were listening to him, had faith in him, ye are the salt of the earth. So that he makes a comparison, that's what we are. And so then Mr. Phillips says this, salt is a miracle. It is chemically composed of sodium and chloride. Pour a little hydrochloric acid on your hand, then it will be burned away in half a minute. Drink hydrochloric acid and you'll die in agony in a few minutes. Add sodium to hydrochloride and what do you have? Salt. One of the most common, most useful substances on earth. A substance that's actually essential to life itself. And here's the analogy he makes and it is proper to make. You and I, without the presence of the Spirit of God, are toxic. We're like hydrochloric acid. We destroy everything we touch put the Holy Spirit of God in us, and all of a sudden we're something useful and profitable to that which is around us. Truth? Isn't our Lord wise in his analogies? Ye are the what? Salt of the earth. How many of you know this? Food without salt tastes different than food with salt. You know what that means? It's an influence. It's an influence. It changes its environment. Again, I'll ask you, how much are you influencing the environment in what you live, in which you live, in which you work, versus how much is it influencing you. The Lord says, as my disciples, you're here to be an influence, a preserving influence. Let's talk about just a few things that salt does. We've we've mentioned especially that salt is preserving. The statement is made, salt does not change corruption into incorruption. So meaning, you and I, by being faithful to our Savior's disciples, are not going to make a corrupt world incorrupt. How many understand that? But what we will do is prevent corruption from spreading. Now, let's just park for just a moment. How many of us would agree corruption, I'm talking about filthy, sinful living, is spreading in our land? There was a time and there were things that are done among church membership today that would have never been dreamed of being done in American churches. It's not only done, it's done and accepted behavior things that are watched, words that are used, conduct that is engaged in, clothing that is worn, thoughts that are, that are dwelt upon, behaviors in secret places that should not even be talked about, and people that claim to be a Christian are involved in that. You know what's happened? The corruption of the world has spread into the house of God. Is it true? I'm not pulling the stuff out of it. This is truth. And instead of churches making a corrupt culture come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God for their corrupt living. We feel intimidated because we don't want them to be upset with us, so we join them in their corruption. Jesus said it's to be the opposite. You're not supposed to join them to reach them. You're supposed to be salt so that they understand that they're corrupt. Ye are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Most Christians today live under an intimidating factor that if you don't join sinners in their sin, you'll never reach them with the gospel. What a lie has been passed off to us by Satan, the God of all lies. That's not true. You and I don't have to conform to the world to reach the world. Jesus said, you're not there to conform them. You're there to influence them. They are corrupt. They are full of iniquity, the Bible says. Without Christ, that's what we all are. And here's what somebody says. Well... You're not, you're, you We never want to offend. Don't be offensive, but I'm going to tell you something. You pour salt in a wound, it's going to burn. <laughs> if you're living, listen to me this morning, if you are living according to the precepts of Jesus Christ, your life is going to bug somebody that's not. You don't have to try. You don't have to come up and say, I don't like the way you're living. All you have to do is don't join them in cursing God's name. Don't join them in listening to the filth that comes through the world's media. Don't join them in a despiteful, bitter attitude. Don't join them in the constant complaining. I tell you, of something that we all need preached on right now. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Let the world murmur. Let them argue, but not God's people. We're to be content. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. What is salt? Salt is an influence. It influences corruption. It does. What salt does. You put salt in the wound. Why would you pour salt in the wound? Why would you do that? To stop infection from setting in. You know what? When we're the salt we're supposed to be, it prevents corruption from spreading. How many know? Let me just give you a practical illustration. You get somebody that lives like a Christian in the work environment. How many have ever seen this happen? As soon as that Christian walks in, the conversation shifts. Oh, it was a, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, I, I didn't know you walked in. Excuse my, excuse my French. Well, last time I checked, that wasn't French. <laughs> Somebody does that, right? Why? Because the person that just walked in the room has the testimony of never using language like that. They didn't come in one day. Here's where they'll treat you. You are so judgmental. I had some men tell me last week, well, one of the reasons we don't go to churches is because every time we go, we're judged we just people are so judgmental. I said, time out, just a minute. That may be true. But a lot of times we feel that way because we're not living right. We get around people that are. And I don't know if this is the very words I use, but I was trying to communicate. Be careful because you're judging people for judging you. Eh? Eh? Oh, I can't go to that church. I feel judged. Well, if you weren't living in sin, you wouldn't feel judged. So you people don't live in sin? We know who saved us from it, and we want to honor him. That make sense this morning? Salt. Jesus said salt is good. He said that in Luke chapter 14. Turn there with me real quickly if you would. Salt is good, meaning this comparison he makes, he says, I've made you an influence for good in this world. We influence corruption. We influence flavor. I'm going to tell you something. As the world becomes more influential than God's people, What flavor has it given our culture? Now, friend, I have to live in this world, and so do you. But I've gotten where I dread going to the store. I dread being anywhere a television's turned on. The corruption is so bad. I feel like I'm walking through Sodom and Gomorrah. Truth? Here's what happens. You go, oh, it's terrible. People are living like animals and claiming that it's good. What has happened? Hold on. You know what we want to do? Oh, wicked people. Where did the influence to prevent corruption go? Salt has lost its savor. You can throw savorless salt all over something and it won't stop corruption. You salt meat with salt that's gone bad, your meat will corrupt. So Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 34 Luke 14, 34, he says, salt is good. That's really the statement I want you to see. Salt is good. Salt is what? It's good, meaning it's not, it's not evil. It is, a, it is a beneficial element in, in our world, and that is the child of God. Christians are good. They've been made good through the blood of Jesus Christ. They are an influence for good. That's the comparison we made. It's to prevent corruption and to add flavor. <laughs> Amen? The life of godliness and righteousness is not only preserving from corruption, spreading but it adds a flavor that is that is that is savory. It's tasty. It's a good thing. Isn't it a good thing to see a godly family? There's something that's a blessing about that. You know, what's grievous to see two men or two women who say they're a family with a parcel of kids that have been given to them they could have never had and calling it something it's not something in your in your very nature. You don't have to be born again to say that's disgusting. But where? What should we say? What Jesus is saying is, I'm giving you some principles. I Manage something as you go back to the beatitudes. Let's just let's just back it up just a little bit before we move on. We're talking about salt. Salt is an influence to prevent corruption, to add savor. But if we're our lives are not adding savor and we're not preventing corruption, then let's back up a little bit and say, what is my attitude toward myself this morning? Did I come to church this morning knowing that the Bible would be open, knowing that the Word of God would be preached and say, man... I really need something from God today. I don't have all that I need to be faithful. I need the Holy Spirit of God to minister to me today. When I face temptation, if He doesn't help me, I'm going to falter. I am weak. I am not righteous in myself. Oh, Lord, I'm glad You're my Savior. Please assist me today. Are you poor in spirit this morning? Those who are not poor in spirit have lost their Savior. When was the last time When was the last time you shed tears over sin in your life? When was the last time that God brought before you what Christ did for you, and it broke your heart that you're not more grateful to Him? We've we have forgotten I'm not I'm not trying to mourn this morning, but we have forgotten how good God has been to us. Oh, we ought to... Listen, friend. If you have not meditated on what Jesus did on the cross for you today, you are missing a blessing. Mm-hmm. You you and I today deserve the judgment of God. But we just... You know, look, we, we want to we be happy. No morning, no morning, no... Hey, blessed are they that mourn. Tears are not evil. They that sow in tears shall reap in... wonder why we're not reaping more joy. When was the last time you mourned? And I, it's not just you. When was the last time we mourned over the sin of another? Remember Daniel? He prayed and confessed his own sins and the sins of his people. It, you know, today I find myself angry at the sins of my nation. But listen closely to me this morning. Because of the certainty of the Bible, our nation is in a heap of trouble. Because of our sin. No other reason. Not because of politics. Not because of the White House. Not because of rigged elections. Because of S-I-N. We're in trouble today. And judgment must first begin where? In the White House. At the church house. In the house of God. Is that what it says? Judgment must first begin in the house of God. Why? Because we're the salt. We're the salt. And if corruption is spreading, don't we have to say, then where's the salt? How many people do you know that claim to be Christians? Listen, if this nation as Christian as it claimed to be, there's no way sodomy would be on the march it's on today. There's no way. Oh, we're having revival. No, we're not. Somebody's got their head in the sand. We're not having revival. We've lost our savor. When was the last time that we were meek? Oh, how tempting it is to abandon meekness in a world full of pride. To say, no, we're better than you. Look, if you're saved this morning, you have a better heritage, you have a better future, you have a better character, but we're the ones supposed to be meek. Amen? Amen. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. What is it your heart is set on today? Is it right in the sight of God or is it something not? We can go right on down the line. You know what? The savor are the things he gave us in Matthew 5, 3 through verse 11. Last time, boy, this gets convicting. Last time somebody reviled me for doing what was right, did I rejoice or did I murmur? That's the savor, isn't it? That's what bites. That's what influences corruption. When we are treated evil and we don't respond with evil. One of the things the Lord's convicted me about, we go out and we try to reach people. And then you can come back and say, man, these people, these people, these people. And some of you know me, you know I, hey, confess your faults one to another. I'm here confessing to you because something God's telling me about. If you go out and try to give them the gospel and they treat you evil, what do you say is our response? Rejoice. And be exceeding glad, for great is your reward. See, this morning you might think, well, i got savory salt. I'm in church on a Sunday morning. Well, let's compare ourselves to the saver. The saver's back here. Am I merciful? Am I a peacemaker? Is that who I am? Because that's what he said I'm to be. That's the blessed one. And so then the master's comparison, we are salt, which is an influencing agent. Then he gives us a caution, and we've alluded to it over and over. Matthew chapter 5, once again. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Let me, I'm going to read here in Luke 14, 34 and 35, and then we'll go back to Matthew 5. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's go to Matthew 5 and read the similarity of these two cautions. Ye are the salt of the earth the influencing agent, to prevent corruption. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salty? So what's he saying? If the salt have lost its composition, its saltness, that's what he calls it in Mark's gospel. If salt have lost its saltness, meaning what makes it salt is the fact that it has elements in it that prevent corruption, that break down corruption, prevent it from spreading, elements in it that add flavor to your food. How many have ever put salt, I remember my grandma and grandpa had salt one time and uh, you would shake it on you'd eat your food, you can taste the difference well, what good is that? when he said you can't put on the dunghill we know that that spreads corruption so they would salt the dunghill so the disease wouldn't spread, but salt without savor isn't even good for that you know what salt is good for? the hat doesn't have savor nothing it's not big enough to gravel your driveway with I mean, it's you know, it's good for nothing. And so then the point here is not that you've lost what you are. You're still salt. But you're absolutely useless. Now, this is a principle that's clear in the Bible, but is not much. We don't hear a lot about it today. If you're saved today and you're salt, you know, what he said salt is good. But good salt can become good for nothing. He cautions us. It is possible. Not to turn from salt into something else. You're saved. You're a child of God. You always will be. But it is possible for you to lose your influencing ability. It is possible for you and I to be conformed to the world, to let the persecution and the reviling pressure us to the point where we quit conforming to the image of Christ. And we start, we begin to ignore his word and he said, when you cease to be what salt was, salt was designed to be, when you lose your savor, you are good for nothing. The, meaning, you become, as First Corinthians 9 calls it, a what? Castaway. There are those that think that's teaching you lose your salvation. Friend, you don't run to get saved. You trust Christ to get saved. You run to win. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 9 24. Know ye not that they which run a race run all but one receive with the prize? So run that ye may obtain. You're not obtaining salvation. Their salvation is a gift, not a reward. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Meaning, instead of cursing when I'm reviled, I'll be temperate and I will bless. Is it that simple? Let's try that again. Is it that simple? <laughs> You're thinking it is that simple, but it's not that easy. I got it. I understand. My point is this, uh, every man that striveth with mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. I therefore shall run, not as uncertainly. So find I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. What did Paul bring his body into subjection to? The will of Jesus Christ. This may be what I want to do, but he said do this. Honestly, do you think in his body Paul felt like singing at midnight in the Philippian jail? but he brought his body under subjection and he prayed and sang because that's what Jesus said to do. I bring my body under subjection. I bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. A castaway. What is a castaway? Someone that can no longer be used in the service of God because they've lost their usefulness. You say, God wouldn't cast anybody away. Jesus said to be cast away and trodden under the foot of God or under the foot of men. Here's what happens. You go to witness to a coworker, and they say, don't talk to me. I saw you lose your temper last week. You know what they just did to you? They trampled you under their feet. Don't talk to me about going to church. I see you skip every time you get overtime. Don't talk to me. You love money more than you love God or you'd be with God's people when you're supposed to. You say people, lost people wouldn't say that. Oh, yes, they do. They're looking for any excuse they can find to dismiss the gospel that you have that convicts them. And so if you and I lose our savor, our testimony of Christ's rule in our life, we're still salt, which is no good. We're good for nothing. I shouldn't have said no good. Good for nothing. You, you, your composition has not changed in essence. And by the way, I, I've thought and I've thought and I've thought. And I can only think of one way that salt goes bad. And loses its savor. And I may be wrong. The Bible doesn't articulate it. But that is by not being used. By sitting on the shelf. It moisture collects. And it goes bad. I believe this. Sedentary Christians. Who will not act proactively on the commandments of Jesus Christ. Become savorless Christians. I know what the word of God says. I'm not going to defy it. But I'm not going to obey it. I'm just going to sit on the shelf. You with me, if the salt have lost its savor, the caution is this. You'll always be salt, but that doesn't mean you'll always be able to influence. Help me this morning. I've heard it breaks my heart. This last week, I've heard of three ministries where the leaders of those ministries have been caught in sin. Immoral affairs. You say that those men were lost. Maybe, probably not. You say, a man couldn't do that unless he's lost. It's not what the Bible says. I'll tell you what, though. Those men have lost their influence. Would you agree? So that ain't right. The Bible says of a man that commits adultery that his name will always, he'll always have a bad name attached to that, even if he's forgiven. There's an influence that's lost when we lose our Savior. And so the comparison, we're salt. An agent of influence in a corrupt world, in a, in a corrupt earth. There's no corruption in heaven, but on earth there is. And we're here to be a defraying influence through godly living. The caution, you can lose your savor. The conclusion, we've already touched on that. Verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. But if, there's the caution, the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? What, let me ask you, what would you salt savorless salt on? What would you put it on? Your Your steak? I would you know what you do if you put savorless salt on a steak? You waste a good steak. What would you put savorless salt on? I wouldn't put it on anything. Help me here this morning. This is the wisdom of our Savior. If you went and got a salt shaker out of your cabinet, and you had just cut yourself and you thought, I don't have any peroxide, but I do have a little salt, and you went and you felt nothing. What would that tell you? It is doing you no good. Unless it burns, it's not doing any good. If your life is not a conviction to somebody, lost its savor. If we're just like them, tell me something. When you're out and out in the world, how can you pick out a Christian and you're conversing with people? How can you tell the difference between the two? In our world, they use the same language. They have the same attitude. Rebellion, arrogance, pride, complaining, murmuring, bitterness, envy, strife. Oh, I know, their appearance. No, that's the same too. What they listen to, same. What they watch, maybe not as bad. You with me? No savor. What's the difference? Are we hungry after thirsting after righteousness, or are we just hungry after a good time? And so this morning, Jesus said, you can lose your savor. You're still salt. You're still... Good, but you're good for nothing. And so, if I had salt that I shook on my wound, I said, Well, let me just double check that. And I got me an egg out and I fried it up and I salted that thing real good and I tasted it. And I can tell you, I'd screw the lid off, open the door, and go whoop. And the next rain, you'd never knew it even existed. That's the analogy we have. It's good for nothing but to be what? Now, don't miss the analogy here, and we're almost done. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt have lost his savor. Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but this. Here's what you can do with it. To be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. See, I don't understand. I try to witness this person, and I try to witness this person, and I try to witness this person, and they just don't even pay attention to me. Look, I would rather somebody get mad at me and just completely ignore it altogether. I mean, at least you're having an effect, <laughs> Right? Why is it that more people are not listening to our message? Why are they treading our message under their feet? Oh, pastor, the world is such a hard place. We have so much savorless salt. We have so many people who claim the name of Christ but are so in, little influenced by the commands of Jesus Christ that we're just as much like them. They, they just dismiss what we have to say because they can't tell a difference. Our life is no, it's no reproof to them. What happens is when your life is a reproof, what they'll put pressure on you to do by reviling you, mocking you, making fun of you, persecuting you, is to get you to stop doing what makes them feel convicted. Here's, this, here's the very dangerous part. In our world today, we're doing that in the name of evangelism. I've literally heard men say, Oh, yeah, I go sip a beer with some every now and then for the opportunity to give the gospel. What a stupid thing to say. Say, stupid? It's foolish. You don't go sin with somebody. You know what that guy down the bar thinks of you? You are such a joke. I don't need a Christian who's the same thing I am. It would be better for him to hate your guts and think you're judging him because you won't join him than for you to join him and prove to him that your belief system has absolutely no value. You with me? I've known of preachers who say, yeah, I let one slip over the pulpit every now and then and let people know I'm what they are. That's wicked. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. You know what the Bible says, Colossians 4, 5, and 6? Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Your speech should be backed up with a life that's consistent with Matthew 5, 3 through 11. When your speech and mine is coupled with a salty life, then it's used to reprove of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You with me this morning? Savorless salt is good for nothing but to be cast out, trodden under the foot of men. Look very quickly in closing in John chapter 15. The Lord Jesus uses the exact same kind of speech when he speaks to us about abiding in him. John chapter 15. In verse 5, he said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. You, you get your life flow from me. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing here's the negative aspect of that, verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And what does it say? And men, not God, men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Meaning, if a dead branch is as valuable as savorless salt, it's good for nothing but to be burned. Now, this morning, would we say that a lot of God's people... Have lost our sphere of influence? Hmm. How come? Is it because the world has changed? Look, the world has been corrupt since the Garden of Eden. Because the salt has lost its savor. I'll conclude with the question I ask you to ask yourself at the beginning Am I more of an influence on the world around me? Or am I more influenced by the world around me? If so, you say this morning, and you may say, Pastor, I I don't have any savor. I believe I'm I believe on Christ. He's my master. I believe God's word is there to give you life. I I don't find anywhere that a savor can assault and get its savor back. I, I don't find that. Maybe the Lord Jesus Christ has given you a warning this morning, though. Look, you'll always be mine, but that doesn't mean I can always use you. You study your Bible to be used of God in service. Is different. It's a different requirement than salvation. Salvation, you trust Him, He'll save you. But if you want to be useful, you want God to use you in an influential way, you've got to be godly.